John chapter 18. We've come as far as verse 28, where it says, Then Jesus, then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. Notice, and it was early. They themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they should eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? And they answered and said unto him, If, we were, if he were not a malefactor, would we have delivered him unto you? Take ye him and judge him according to your own law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this of thyself, or did others tell it to thee? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. And Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. For this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. And everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said unto them, I find in him no fault at all. So we have the first of <clears throat> the civil trials. We, found, we follow Jesus through the three religious trials. First in the house of Annas, the hearing had there, then to the house of Caiaphas, where he was spit on and beat and mocked. And then the, the Sanhedrin, it tells us there it was early. It must have been around daybreak. Um, and that was probably just to be sentenced. It could have lasted 15 minutes. He they just gathered. They brought him in. They wanted him to say that he was the son of God. He did to them. That was blasphemy. They had reason to put him to death. But when they come to Pilate, they have to call him a malefactor. They can't say he committed a blasphemy because Pilate could care less. That Rome's... MO was when Rome overtook any people and they took over the area, they allowed those people to maintain their religions. Caesar was deity, certainly he was Lord, but you could worship the way you worshiped before we got here. And they loved to govern with peace as much as they could. If not, it was an iron heel on your head. So at this point in time, the Jews now finished with the Sanhedrin, make this quick decision because it tells us in chapter 19, verse 14, when he finally ends up before Pilate again, 
It's the sixth hour. It's six o'clock in the morning then. So he's gone through all of these things before that. And it says they bring him from Caiaphas to the judgment hall. And it was early, sometime probably between five and six. Uh, the, the Romans held judge, held court from daybreak to sunset. The Roman court function all day and they bring Jesus early now to the judgment hall where Pilate is. And it says, but they themselves entered not in because they didn't want to defile themselves. And you're sure that Pilate enjoyed that, um, that they wouldn't defile themselves because they wanted to eat the Passover. So uh, we come to. Um, a debate here, which shouldn't be. Are you saying that the Passover was eaten Friday afternoon after the crucifixion of Christ? I'm not saying that. I don't think John's saying that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all clear that the Passover was Thursday evening, the 14th of Nisan, and that he was crucified on the 15th. And John is writing to Gentiles, 90 AD, Jerusalem's gone, the temple's gone. And he just says that they didn't want to go in and defile themselves, that they might eat the Passover. The Haggagah, the feast lasted for eight days. The first meal was the Passover on Thursday. That was somber. They remembered what God did bringing them out of Egypt. And then there were seven days of the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread when they ate early in the afternoon and they rejoiced. Uh, so it simply says here they wanted to continue in the feast. They want to continue to eat. The whole feast was called the Feast of Passover. So they didn't want to come in and be defiled because in their own tradition, they had developed this tradition that if you went into the presence or the house of a Gentile, you couldn't eat in the feast. The law didn't prescribe that. Their traditions had taken over so much by this point in time, like the church, they're getting hardening of the categories as this takes place. So they bring him now into the judgment hall to Pilate. No doubt Pilate knew they were coming. Pilate had ears and eyes throughout all of Judea. Pilate, to some degree, was familiar with Christ. No doubt probably never was face to face with him. But he knew he wasn't a threat. He heard about his miracles. He never heard that he was trying to stir up a physical revolution. Knew that he had come into Jerusalem a week earlier, Palm Sunday, the crowd screaming, blessed is the king of Israel, he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he didn't present any threat to Rome. He knew that Jesus himself, when they tried to take him and make him king in John 6, he refused it. He wouldn't have it. He no doubt knows that Jesus in the temple courts had said, render unto the Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God. Because part of their accusation is going to be that he said not to pay tribute to Caesar, making himself a king. So Pilate is familiar with him. And we come then to this political figure put in front of us. I think it's important to look at him and the historicity. This is a historic fact, just like the world today is filled with quote unquote leaders and Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever and no doubt has come to stand before many of them as well in his spirit 
Pilate, who normally lived in Caesarea by the sea, Caesarea Maritima, would come to Jerusalem during the feasts and be in the Antonio Fortress. Some say it was Herod's palace, but Herod was there during the feast. And um, he would be there. Now, Pilate, um, born in Spain, Seville, some say that his family bought their citizenship. They were originally generations before paupers and poor. We don't know that for sure. But we know Pontius Pilate is a knight. In the Roman culture, there were the, the common people. Um, then there were the knights. Then there were the dignity, the senators and procurators and so forth. So he's not a plebe. He's a knight. We're told in history that he was a royal knight of the clan of Pontai, the equestrian clan of Pontai. That's why he takes the name Pontius Pilate to himself from his own clan, Pontai. <clears throat> he does some intelligent things. He marries this woman who is Caesar Augustus granddaughter. That's always a good move to make when you're a Roman. Claudia Procula, who will come to him and warn him, not that anything you do with Jesus. He marries her, and by that time he had been made a tribune in Syria, over a thousand men and their auxiliaries. And has a rumor of the, the he's a rumor is he's cruel, he's mean. Philo and Josephus, contemporary historians, tell us that. But he was a tough military leader. And uh, he was known for that. And he has a friend in Rome, Lucius Junus Saguna, they grew up together, who is now the head of the Praetorian Guard, Praetorian Guard in the palace in Rome, Praetorian, I knew I'd get there. And he was of such influence that when Caesar traveled, instead of letting a senator rule till he got back, he put Sejunus in charge. So he's so he second command. And he gave a ring to his friend, Pilate Amicus Caesaris, the friend of Caesar. And he's the one that had him appointed prefect in Judea because of his reputation. And anywhere in the world where the Romans took over a troubled area, their prefect um, was always a military man because they knew it would be a tough area, not a politician. So proconsul, the prefect, he's there in Judea. Now, understand, he doesn't like it there. He's hoping to move up and get out of Judea. This is a tough assignment. And Judea was important to the Romans because it was the Via Mares, the way of the sea, ran along the coast, and there was a port of Caesarea, and it was the gateway to Egypt and all of the grain supplies for Rome. So he's in a very important position in that sense. <clears throat> and the Jews are tough. The Jews were there when there were Egyptians. The Jews were there, you know, when there were Assyrians, before the Assyrians were there, the Jews 
were there before the Persians become an empire, before the Babylonians become an empire, thousands of years before the Romans come into existence. The Jews are still there today. And if you go to, to Israel today, if you're going with us, you'll have Jews giving you tours of Roman ruins. These are tough people. They have endured. In fact, Alexander the Great took over the entire world with 32,000 infantry. Julius Caesar took all of Gaul and all of Britain with 25,000 infantry. But Titus Vespasian, when he came against Jerusalem, came with 10,000 cavalry and 80,000 infantry, and it took him four years to take Jerusalem. And then after that, Masada was the next headache. So these are stubborn people. Uh, they are determined to have their way and Pilate is an ornery guy. He's mean, he's strong-willed, he's inflexible, Philo and Josephus tell us. And he had already offended them a, a number of major times. When he first came in the area as prefect and took over, he came into the walls of Jerusalem with banners with the Caesar's image on it and started riots everywhere because they didn't like graven images, part of what they believed. He had, at one point, Luke 13.1 tells us, slaughtered a group of Galileans as they sacrificed. It was, it was sacrilege to them, even though they didn't like <clears throat> the Galileans. He had come into the temple and taken from the temple revenues, taken their sterling silver to build an aqueduct over 30 miles into Jerusalem. He must have figured, hey, they're going to get the water. Let them pay for it, too. And then finally, one of the main things he did is he, he came into Jerusalem and hung these golden shields everywhere inside of Herod's palace that, says, that said Caesar was divine. The lordship of Caesar was coming to the fore. And the Jews were so incensed, they rioted so long, Pilate goes back to Caesarea where he normally lives and thousands of them came up there to protest. He took them all into the arena and said, if you don't stop, you're going to die. They all laid down and bared their necks and said, we would rather die than say Caesar is Lord. And Caesar heard about it in Rome and commanded Pilate to get those shields out of there, put them in the, the temple of Augustus in Caesarea. So this is a tough group. He's not happy. He's there in the middle of this. And now these Jews who we don't like, doesn't like them, are bringing Jesus, who he's heard of, into his judgment hall. And this is the first time we actually find him standing face to face with Jesus. He now has Jesus on his hands. And it's a remarkable picture that develops as we look into it. So it tells us, then they brought Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. It was early. They went not in that they themselves, they wouldn't be defiled because they wanted to eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them. Now, Roman court was held in public. It was important to them. The accusers had to be there. The accused had to be there with the right to defend themselves. And they won't come in. So Pilate goes out of the courtyard. No doubt he is surrounded by soldiers. They bring the chair of judgment, the throne of judgment out. He sits down in front of them there, and he said, What accusation bring ye against, and he must have pointed, Jesus is out there, against this man. He identifies him, if you can imagine. 
And they answered and said, now evidently he's aggravated, they can tell. What's the accusation you bring against this man? He's beaten, he's spit on, you know, he's been brutalized. And they answered and said unto him, well, if he were not a malefactor, they have to bring civil charges. Because for them, when Jesus said he was the son of God, that was blasphemy. That's nothing to the Romans because they believed Caesar was God. They, you know, they, he'd have just thrown that out on religious charges. So they said, if he wasn't a malefactor, he's a revolutionary, he's a threat to Rome, you know, that's the reason that we brought him to you. We wouldn't have delivered him to you. Then Pilate said unto them, well, take ye him, judge him according to your own law. And the Jews therefore said unto him, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. And they play their hand at that point. Pilate now knows what they want. They don't want a trial. They don't want court. They don't want this guy to defend himself. They don't want to hear the accusations. They want him executed. And the Mishnah, the, the, um, the Talmud tells us 40 years before Jerusalem was destroyed that the Romans took away the right for the Jews to execute the death sentence because capital punishment, Romans call it the right of the sword, was the banner of any conquering nation, that they had the right to execute capital punishment. That was authority. And the Romans had taken that from the Jews. So they say, you know, we would take care of this ourselves, but you took the right of execution away from us. So he knows what they want. <clears throat> and remarkably, then it says in verse 32, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. So remarkably, it says he has to be in Roman hands. He can't be executed by the Jews because what he said has to be fulfilled. And he did that signifying what death he should die. He had told Nicodemus, chapter 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. They knew that was crucifixion. He said in chapter 12, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. He's fulfilling things. Psalm 22, 700 years before crucifixion says, there they have pierced my hands and feet. All of my bones are out of joint. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 would say in the last days when Christ returns, it says they're going to mourn for him because they're going to look on him whom they have pierced. They were part of that. So here, remarkably, Jesus says, no, it tells us here in the, in the word, there's a divine overruling in all of this. Jesus has agreed to drink the cup the Father has for him. That cup has to be crucifixion, bearing our sins, not being stoned to death. And in the worst of circumstances, you look at this situation here, standing eye to eye with Pilate is God, Emmanuel, God with us. The word of God that had put on flesh to dwell among us. The Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, the Messiah, his face brutalized, covered with spit, our Jesus, our returning King, standing face to face with Pilate, 
and Pilate wanting to get him off of his hands. We can't do it because you took away the right for us to execute him. And Pilate then entered into the judgment hall. He went back in and they, they called Jesus. Then they, the soldiers bring Jesus into him. And he says to Jesus, art thou the king of the Jews? Now, the, the word thou there is emphatic. It's like, are you? You, as for yourself. He's covered with spit. He's beat up. You know, to, to, to Pilate, this is ridiculous. You, you're the king of the Jews. Look at you. you get that tar beat out of you. Look at you. Know, you're all disheveled. You're unraveled. Look at you. Are you, you're the king of the Jews, he says to him. Now, Jesus can't say no. So he answers him like this. He says, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it to thee of me? And Pilate said, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and your chief priest delivered you unto me. What are you done? So he asked them this question now. Are you saying this of your own accord, or has this been told to you? What he's saying is, is this a Roman concern? Are you saying this of yourself? Am I a king? Am I a threat, a revolutionary threat to your, your jurisdiction here? Is that what this is? Or is this something the Jews told you that I was? And he's putting that in front of him. And Pilate, you know, he says, you want me to answer that? Am I a Jew? He said, it, your people delivered you to me. It doesn't have anything to do with me. He looks at him, he says, what have you done? Now, Jesus will get around to his first question. Are you a king? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from hence. So he asked him, are you a king? Jesus puts him in this dilemma of, is this a Roman decision or is this something the Jews are pushing? And he said, I'm not a Jew. This is your, your own people are making this trouble. What's the deal? And he says, well, my kingdom, three times in that verse, my kingdom, my kingdom, my kingdom. First, that's answering his question. Are you a king? And you imagine Pilate, he's eye to eye now with Jesus. What those eyes look like, swollen face, beaten. What dignity he had. Our Jesus, our Savior, went to that place for us. And he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight he says, but now my kingdom is not from hence. It's interesting. My kingdom is not of this world. The, the word there is ek, out of, and it speaks of origin. Jesus looks at Pilate and says, my kingdom, yes, I'm a king, my kingdom, but it, my kingdom doesn't find its origin out of this world. This world is filled with leaders. It's filled with people, kings, potentates, prime ministers, presidents, who have been put into the position they're in by other humans. That's the trouble with the world today. 
I know you think, well, if I was president, you're a sinner too. It'd be the same problem. He says, my kingdom, its origin is not out of this world. If it was, my, ser- my servants would fight. Look, we have to realize that our king and our kingdom is not from this world that drives us crazy. Our citizenship is in heaven, Paul tells us in Philippians. And Christ is coming, has the, bar- the power to take these bodies and transform them like unto his glorious body. Can't wait to be 30 years old again. Imagine what that will be like. His kingdom is not out of this worldly system where there is prejudice, where there is war, where there is immorality, where there is hatred. And you and I sometimes can go get so caught up in all that, we think we do need to go fight. Again, and, and as a citizen, I'm supposed to be light and salt in this world. In my privilege to vote, I appreciate people paid for that in their blood. And I will always vote for what I believe biblically are the right issues. But as I watch the church, sometimes I see Christians more excited about the return of Donald Trump than the return of Jesus Christ. That's all I'm saying. I'm not giving you, you know... The point is, we have to realize one day we're going to stand around the throne with every kingdom, every people, every race, every tongue. There's no division. There's no division. We are citizens of that kingdom today, and there's no room in this church for any kind of prejudice, no kind of hatred. All of those things have to be put aside because his kingdom is not as an origin out of this present world. That's not the origin of his kingdom. And Pilate's listening to this, who understands Rome so well. And he's amazed as he's listening, no doubt. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I wouldn't be delivered unto the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from this world. My kingdom is not out of this world. If it were my kingdom were out of this world as an origin, my servants would fight to keep me from being delivered. But now my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Now it's really interesting because it's not a question, well, are you a king then? And he's dropped of the Jews. He doesn't say, are you king of the Jews then? He just says king. And the grammar is arranged, so then you are a king. And it isn't a question. The word then there has no negative force at all in the grammar. It's not insinuating that it's a crazy question. It's the only time in the New Testament that word is used without a negative force. And Pilate looks at him after he hears this answer about this kingdom. And he says, so then, you are a king. He's shaken. He is shaken. He knows nothing about this kind of a kingdom. He he knows nothing about this kind of a reign. 
He, he knows nothing about this kind of a king. But he's overwhelmed. He's taken down by the, the tone of Jesus and the look in his eyes. And he takes a deep breath. He says, so then, you are a king. He, he, he's confused. And how, how do I conceptualize this kingdom you have that you're speaking of? So then, you are a king. And then Jesus said, thou sayest that I am a king. What you're saying is true. And he says, to this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, reason that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Of course, Pilate says, what is truth? He says, what you've said is true. I am the king. And he said, it's to this end I was born, for this cause I came forth. Both of those in the grammar are called perfect. The idea is it's something that happened in the past that still has a present reality. And it speaks of pre-existence. I was born. He's the one who did that. I came. He's the one that did that from somewhere else, from eternity. He was a king there. All of the kings born in this world, when they're born, when they're made king, there's nothing kingly in them. When he came, he came as a king from a kingdom. And he says, it is for to this end, teleos, this is the purpose, this is why I was born, took on human flesh. And it's for this cause that I came into this world from the world I was in as king already. And Pilate's got to be astounded as he's listening to this. And he says, and all of that is that I might bear witness to the truth. And anyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Here's my voice. So, <clears throat> sitting here this morning, thinking about all these things, milling over them in my heart this week, and he's come to bear testimony of the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It tells us that no man at any time has seen God, but Jesus Christ displayed him full of grace and truth. The truth was standing right in front of Pilate when he says, what is truth? He was standing there. And before there was a world, before there was creation, before there were human kingdoms, there was the king, the truth. He's come into our world from where he was. Unto us a child is born, but unto us a son is given from somewhere else, pre-existence. He's come here to bear witness of the truth because he sees us. He sees the world that we're in. God so loved this world in its darkness and in its hopelessness. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe. That's how we got in. We're whosoever's. That whosoever would believe but not perish but have everlasting life. It says, and that happens because he bears witness to the truth. He, he doesn't say, you know, it's because you were seeking and seekers find me. 
He hung out with tax gatherers and prostitutes and drunkards and sinners. They weren't seekers. He came to seek and save that which is lost. He comes to reveal himself and to give testimony of the truth. We're here today because of what he has done. He came into our lives. He opened our eyes spiritually. He opened our hearts. He changed our lives. When we stand around his throne, all of the glory is going to be his. All of us will be throwing our crowns in one direction. Nobody's going to keep a little crown, you know, a little, you know. Yeah, nobody's going to keep one and say, well, you know, yeah, I got saved, but I was really spent a lot of time seeking the truth. Ain't going to happen. The very reason he was born into this world, the very purpose of his coming from his kingdom where he was already king, where he was, was not to be made a king. He was a king when he came. And he came to bear witness of that kingdom and of the truth. The truth is that human beings are sinners. If you don't know Christ here today, the truth is you need a savior. You're never going to make it on your own. What are you going to do? Get an electric car? (laughs) Preserve the air? Uh, Going to take supplements? Go to the gym? Dye your hair when it turns gray so you can be in self-denial about what's happening? Have someone stand over your coffin and say they look great. (laughs) That's my goal. The truth is, we're perishing, we're dying, generation after generation. And God sent his son into the world, and the king came of his own will, as king into this world, is standing before Pilate, brutalized and beaten and covered with spit. That's our king. That's our savior. Standing there, deliberately surrendering himself to those things because it was the cup that the father gave him. And he says, and anybody who hears, who believes, he says, here's the truth. Everyone that is of the truth. Now heareth there is present tense. Anyone who is of the truth is presently hearing. He says, my voice. Are you hearing his voice this morning? Anybody? Okay, we're doing better. Only two people last service. We've got at least seven or eight this service. You know, we sit alone, he speaks to us. It's not an audible voice. Sometimes we can't tell it to our unsaved relatives. They don't understand, you know. But, but he speaks to us in a language of the heart. We know when he's there. We understand creation, not evolution. We understand biblical morality, not the morality that's being forced on the world around us. We understand the future is only secure in his hands because we look at the armaments and everybody, what they got stockpiled everywhere, and we ain't secure here. We look at our kids and our grandkids and we want a better world for them. And we have that hope because by his voice, he speaks truth to our hearts. And we have then the blessed hope. And we can say to anyone without reservation, 
our king is coming. He's coming. His kingdom is not of this world, but he is going to set his kingdom, which is not of this world, up on this world when he comes the second time. And what will that be like? What will that be like? And, and I look at Pontius Pilate here and I think, you know, he's, he, here he's come face to face with the creator, with the redeemer, with the king. And Jesus has allowed this. Here he is standing, brutalized, beaten before Pilate. This man who thought he had power, I believe he's undone in this conversation. Then his wife's going to say word and say, no, I have anything to do with this guy. I'd suffered all kinds of things in a dream, which the Romans held, you know, in high regard, dreams and so forth. And Pilate listens to him and then he says, what is truth? Not as what, what is the truth, but what is truth? Like John says uh, in 1717, he says, Father, sanct Jesus talking to the Father. Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Not the truth. Thy word is truth. Pilate says, what is truth? You and I know. Because we hear his voice. His word is truth. And sadly, it seems Pilate never has the answer to that question. Though it was right in front of him. It seems that he died with that question still unanswered. The Caesar would change in Rome, and because of Pilate's cruelty, he would be removed from his position. His titles would be taken away. He would be banished to Gaul, where he committed suicide. And he stood face to face with the Savior that loved him, that gave testimony to him, that he was a king and what his kingdom was like and the reason why he had come as a king into this world and that all of those that are presently and then hearing his voice are of the truth. Satan wants to take that away from you. The simplest things, Christ, the chief cornerstone, we were sinners. We're saved now by his work. We are being conformed into the image and likeness of God's son. None of us are there yet. All of us live with chinks in our armor. We live wrestling with certain things endemic to our own nature. We're all different. We all struggle. We all have days we sit around and we think, I, I, I can't believe he still wants me. I, I, I'm, not, I'm walking in the light now when I sin. I'm sinning against light. I'm making mistakes I shouldn't be making. Why is this still going on in my life? But when he comes, what will matter will be the truth. And the truth is, you were a sinner, and you are a sinner saved by grace. And when he comes, he is king over all of that. And nobody has anything to say about it. And it is to his glory, and it is his completed work. And sadly, Pilate stands face to face with that. All of that truth. He goes out again to the Jews. And then it's emphatic. His own I, as for me, I, I find no fault in him at all. I can't find a single fault. He's not a threat to Rome. He's not a threat to you. He is. 
is talking about things I can't even get my mind around. But he's doing it with a dignity I've never experienced before in my life. And he's talking about a kingdom I don't understand. He's talking about a kingship that I have never seen. And it is unraveling me as he speaks to me about it. I pray this morning for those of you that are here with us that may never have come to Jesus Christ. Look, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he will speak to you. He'll speak the truth to your heart. He says he came to seek and to save that which is lost. He's the one. And you decide whether what you're hearing from God's word today is truth or what you're hearing out there in the media is truth. You decide. We're going to make everybody drive electric cars. We're going to clear up the atmosphere. <laughs> Takes more faith to believe in that than to believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Right? The price of fuel is not going up and the economy is doing better than it's ever done before. That takes more faith or insanity to believe than Jesus' love and that he's come for us and that the end of the world has drawn near to us. That there are going to be peace treaties. There have never in the history of mankind been peace treaties signed that have not been violated. Ever. And the worrisome thing now is, it's the first time we have a civilization that has the destructive power to incinerate itself five times over, in case we don't do it right the first time. Where's your hope if you don't know Jesus? The UN? <laughs> Politicians? Scientists? Quote, unquote. Where's your hope? This world, Jesus said, is going to wax worse and worse. And here you sit today, and you have to decide in your heart if Jesus is speaking to you, saying to you, you've heard the truth. And if you go on hearing it, you will be of the truth. If you refuse, like Pilate, and Pilate committed suicide right there, not years later in Gaul. He gave up his life and his destiny there. Don't walk away from Jesus Christ today if you don't know him. Don't turn your back and just leave. We're going to ask you if you don't know Christ today. You know in your heart, this ain't religion. We ain't playing church. We don't want you to come to Calvary Chapel. We want you to come to Jesus Christ. And if you have never done that, as we sing this last song, we're going to ask you to get out of your seat and walk on down here, right in front of everybody else in this room. You're going to come down here and say, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. Right in front of everybody. In front of everybody. And then you're done with it. Jesus said, if you're willing to acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father and all of the angels in heaven. You can stand here with your clothes on for Jesus. He hung naked for you on a cross. And if you've never come, do it today, please. And somewhere in this world, we're looking for the last person to be saved.
then the trumpet blows. Please don't hold up our program. <laughs> if you're not saved, you need to do that today. Let's stand. Let's worship. Let's pray. Lord, I know you've overheard. We do look to you. And Lord, we can't imagine, Lord, standing face to face with Pilate. Lord, what's harder, Lord, Lord, for us is the wonder of when you meet with us early in the morning, Lord. When we lay our head down on the pillow at night. When you speak to us, Lord. When the truth is resonating in our hearts. When your voice steps into our life. Lord, we do pray for those who don't know you, who have only had religion and never relationship. They've never had you, Lord, just a set of rules. Would you draw them today, Lord Jesus? You say in your word that you're the one that adds to the church daily such as should be saved. We rejoice to see it, Lord, but it is your work. We put it before you, Lord, and believe we're praying according to your will, Lord Jesus. Draw those today that you love so dearly. We pray in your name. Amen.